as was needed. So today I will be reading Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 24. It was about this time that Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of man. 
immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is God's word. Thanks, Jan. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here joining us this morning for, for worship. Um, so our passage begins with a story of a church that's in crisis. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we learn that King Herod Agrippa I, uh, who had ruled over the territories of Judea and ruled over the Hebrew people under the authority of the Roman Empire, uh, he had determined that it, he had decided that it was time to stop this growing movement of Christianity within his kingdom. And so he began to round up and arrest the followers of Jesus Christ, and then he, he escalated things by capturing the Apostle James, one of the people that actually walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and had James executed. Then, seeing uh, how happy that made some of the people that he wanted to appeal to, uh, he took the next step to capture the Apostle Peter and threw him in prison to await his trial and, and presumably await his execution as well. And so, in the blink of an eye, the church in Jerusalem lost two of its most prominent leaders, most of, two of its most important leaders, and the Christians there were then living in fear that they would be next, that, that the next round of Herod's uh, arrests and roundups would, would target them, and they would be dragged off to prisons as well. And if we take a moment to put ourselves in the shoes, in the place of these believers there in the first century, what sort, of, what sort of emotions might we, might we experience? What sort of things might you have been feeling if you were, you were with these people at this time? Perhaps frustration or fear, concern for yourself, for your friends, for your family, tension between your desire to remain true to Jesus, remain true to this faith that you now believe in and, and, and the fact that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, but at the same time, your, your very real desire to remain safe and to not be persecuted, to not be hunted down for the things that you believe. A pastor named David Helm once summed up the feelings this Christian community were likely having at this time by saying uh, three simple yet piercingly accurate words. He said that, that the people here in the, at this time were feeling hopeless, helpless, and powerless. Hopeless, helpless, and powerless. This was their most desperate hour, and there seemed to be no clear escape from their troubles. Can any of you relate to this sort of feeling? Perhaps you've come here today burdened with your own feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, and powerlessness. Maybe you too feel trapped in, in circumstances, in desperate circumstances that you don't know how to escape. It would not be too surprising if that were the case. I think we can all say that the past few years have been a little bit harder than any of us were really anticipating or, uh, or maybe prepared for. We've lived through a global pandemic and experienced tremendous societal conflict. The world is full of, of wars and disease and destruction and so much confusion. Day by day, the truth feels harder and harder to come by. And every day, we also, it also seems like we get new warnings about some new study, some, some, new, some new thing that we need to be aware of that's lowering, uh, you know, that, that, or that's increasing our anxiety, increasing our depression, lowering us further into the loneliness and isolation and addiction, and, and our personal lives feel like they're just eroding beneath our feet. 
It all begins to pile up and gets more and more overwhelming. And, and too often, we're left with this deep, deep sense of desperation. What are we supposed to do in a world where, where everything around us just seems to go from bad to worse? How do we live and how do we maintain our faith in Christ and our trust in God in desperate times such as these? If you have questions like this or you can relate to these sort of feelings, then my hope for you is that this passage would be able to offer a little bit of guidance in the midst of your most desperate moments. Because what we'll discover in Acts chapter 12 verses 1 through 24 is that there is something we can do when we feel desperate. And we'll also see that God is willing to show up in these moments. And when he does show up, often amazing and unexpected things can happen. So again, looking at the passage, King Herod Agrippa violently begins to persecute the church. And we're not told why he all of a sudden turned on this this persecution. But likely he believed that there was some sort of political advantage. He he could score some political points here. Uh, Herod was, was both a friend of the Romans and a friend of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He was thought to be a very pious Jewish man. And so when he looked at the landscape of what was going on around him, he said, I can I can crush. Christianity, this thing that is clearly no, no longer part of Judaism and clearly not operating within the bounds of, of Roman religious law, I can crush this thing and, and score a lot of points and have a lot of people approve of what I'm doing. So he rounds up believers through, through, through arrests, he executes James, he locks up Peter, and it says Peter was constantly watched by, by four sets of four guards, and so he probably had two guards at his cell door at all times and two guards chained to him at all times. So the church is left in this desperate situation. Their leaders are gone. They don't know what to do. But the one thing they do turn to is the one response they have left, the one thing they know they must do. And in Acts 12, verse 5, it says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. In the the midst of their desperation, this church earnestly prayed to God earnestly prayed to God. Now, taking at face value, this seems like a no-brainer, right? This is kind of like the go-to Christian response. We're in times of trouble. What we're supposed to do is take our prayers to God, lay them at his feet. We understand that. That sounds great. Let's get to the cool part where Peter gets escaped, broken out of prison by an angel. Let's, let's focus on that and talk about that. But before we get to that part, I think there's more going on here that demands our attention. See, Luke tells us that this church, that means that the entire local Christian community, they had gathered together to cry out to God on Peter's behalf. They earnestly, and and that word earnestly, that descriptor is important because it means they sincerely and with deep conviction devoted themselves to prayer in the midst of their most desperate moment. And the author of the book of Acts was a man named Luke, and he uses the same language in one other place in his writings, not not in Acts, but over in, in his gospel, in the gospel of Luke. And there he describes a situation where someone else, in the midst of his most desperate moment, cried out earnestly to God. In Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. This is the night, the moment before Jesus is arrested and dragged off and prepared for his time on the cross. This is his most desperate hour. And it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This church, 
was praying just like their Savior in their most desperate moment and at their time of greatest need. This church followed after the example of Jesus himself and cried out earnestly to God in their most desperate moment and in their greatest time of need. And as we consider our church, as we consider how we react to our desperate times, our troubled times, how often would we say that, that we put ourselves in the place as these believers in verse 5? How often do we cry out as they do, earnestly seeking the Lord with sincerity and conviction and commitment? At the moment their need was greatest, they turned to God. When they were hopeless, helpless, and powerless, they invoked the awesome privilege of turning to the Lord of creation and crying out for help, knowing that there was nowhere else they could turn and that if God didn't act, nothing was going to change. That was the conviction that they approached the Lord with. If you don't act, God, nothing's going to change. So we have to ask, ask ourselves, where do we tend to go when everything goes wrong? When we're overwhelmed and when life seems hopeless and helpless and powerless to us, what do we do in the midst of that kind of desperation and despair? It's tempting to turn elsewhere, right? Sometimes our reaction to desperate times is to simply throw ourselves at possible solutions. I want to fix this. I want to change this. I can get this done. And we so dearly desire to fix it, and that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but our desire is so great, our focus becomes so great on just changing and fixing what's wrong that we skip over the step of seeking the Lord in his wisdom, of going to God and asking, what could I do here in this situation? What would you see done now? Sometimes we lean into despair and turn toward anger and grumbling. We crave that brief catharsis that comes with complaining. And so we voice every criticism we can think of with no real intent on thinking through, uh, on thinking through or making things, uh, making things different through the work that we do with the Lord. Sometimes we make idols out of the people we believe can help. Instead of seeking God, we turn to our favorite Christian author or our favorite expert, our favorite uh, person in the field. And, and instead of, and instead of uh, going to the Lord, we go to this person thinking that they have all the answers. And if we just listen to enough podcasts or scan enough social media or read enough on the internet, we'll find all the things we need. And, and we don't bring in the Lord into these situations. We don't think about how does God, what does God say in these matters? We need to take seriously the example that these Christians gave to us in, in, in chapter 12 here. We need to make our own commitment to earnest prayer. In verse 3, it tells us that Peter was arrested during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a week-long celebration. All right, and so this means that Herod was likely waiting to the end of that celebration to bring Peter out for his trial and, and, and likely execution. It was considered, you know, kind of not cool to throw somebody in trial and execute them in the middle of this of the celebration they were having. And so in verse 6, when it says that the angel visited Peter on the night before his trial, we can guess that Peter has been there for at least a few days, if not a full week, in that prison cell. Which means that his church and their earnest commitment to pray for him were going day, hour by hour, day by day, constantly before the Lord, continuously bringing this before them in prayer. This wasn't just like a moment of, hey God, we hope you help Peter, we'll talk to you later, see you at the end of the week, see what happens. They constantly went before the Lord, constantly sought his help, his aid, his intervention on Peter's behalf. Because they believed that doing so, that praying to God absolutely mattered. And so this morning, I'd like you to consider what it is in your life that may require earnest prayer before the Lord. 
What is so overwhelming that the only way forward is for you to gather with other believers and cry out to God and ask for his intervention? This week, I would encourage you to pray in the midst of your desperation and not just by yourself. You should pray by yourself, but not just by yourself. Gather with others who follow Jesus. Gather with them as this church gathered together and lift your concerns, lift your cries up to the Lord. Share the burden of your heart and bring it before the Lord in prayer. And as you do, consider what we see in the rest of this passage. That in response to the church's prayers and desperation, God took action in unexpected ways. In verses 6 through 19, we see a deluge of divine intervention. All right, all of a sudden, God breaks in, shows up. It's almost comical how much God jumps in and starts getting hands-on here now in this story. Because absolutely nobody is prepared for what God's going to do. First, we see the angel of the Lord show up, and he fills the prison cell with light. And yet still, somehow, even though like he's there and the prison's filling with light, he still has to whack Peter in the side to get Peter to wake up and like, hey, we're leaving, let's go. And then Peter, who, who later we learned, simply thought he was experiencing a vision and, and not a rescue. He just sort of apparently stands there to the point where the angel actually has to say, Peter, get your clothes, get your shoes, put your jacket on, we're leaving. If any of you have a toddler, this conversation sounds familiar. Like, we're going out the door. Please get your things. This is a daily occurrence for me. God breaks Peter's chains and subdues every guard, opens every door, gets Peter to safety outside the present, and then only then does Peter finally go, oh, God's done something here. He came to himself and he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent this angel to rescue me from all the things that Herod and, and, and the Jewish people had desired. So Peter runs to the house of a woman named Mary where he knows the church had met regularly. And in verse 12, we say, we're told that the people are there praying. They're probably praying for Peter's deliverance in that very moment. And so despite this, when we get this very humorous scene where the church, probably behind the door, praying for Peter, is unwilling to believe that Peter's actually been freed, that he's actually been saved, that their prayers have been answered. A servant girl named Rhoda goes to the door after she hears somebody knocking, and she hears Peter call out, and she's so overwhelmed, she's so excited, she runs off to tell the other believers that Peter's there, forgetting to let him in the door. And so Peter's just standing out there, knocking away. Meanwhile, Rhoda's going to tell them, Peter's here, Peter's here. And they say, nope, he's not. You're crazy. We can't believe that. We're busy praying, Rhoda, for, for Peter's deliverance. If you just calm down for a moment, he can't possibly be here. He's in prison. And, they, and then they start making up reasons and other things. Maybe it's his angel. And I, I cannot tell you what that means. Whatever that means. Maybe it's, his, maybe it's any, other, any other thing than Peter actually having been delivered as we've been asking in our prayers. Finally, somebody gets up, goes to their door, lets him in, and they are stunned. They cannot believe how God has acted in this miraculous way. They cannot believe that, that, that more than their prayers have been answered and that, and that Peter has been restored to them. Meanwhile, Herod awakes the next day to find out that his prisoner has somehow gotten out. And after cross-examining and rounding up his guards and asking what happened, he, he executes them in his anger. Not one person in this entire story, is ready for what God was willing to do. Not one person expected God to act in this way. Not the church, not Peter, and most certainly not Herod. God heard the prayers of his people, and they served as a catalyst for miraculous action that far exceeded anyone's expectations. And I find this comforting, because if I'm honest, when I go and, and I pray for the things that I need, I'm not always completely sure what I should be asking for. And and sometimes 
sometimes I turn the page crack. There we go. I know it's good to pray uh, and that it's right to go to God with all of my needs. But I must confess that I'm really not often sure about the specifics. See, this church was earnestly praying to God, but I don't think that they were all that confident in what they should be asking God to do. They certainly weren't expecting Peter to show up that night, and perhaps they were praying for Peter's deliverance, but they left the details of what they needed up to God. They cried out to God, but, but they left these details. They said, God, we have to do something. We don't, need, we don't know what it is. Please do anything to help us. And later, they were joyfully surprised by the enormity of the miraculousness of God's intervention. Here's the encouragement that I take away from this that I hope you all will take as well. Give yourself permission and freedom to pray even when you're not sure what to ask for or how God might respond. Give yourself the permission and the freedom to pray, to call out to God and ask for things or or talk to him without even really being sure what exactly is it that that I should be saying right now. He may very well respond in a way that you've never expected or thought that he would. Some of you are, are aware that uh, a number of years ago, I experienced uh, what would be described as, as a mental health crisis, as, as, a, as a collapse of, of my mental health. I, uh, I, started, I started experiencing deep and severe anxiety, uh, crippling anxiety, to the point where I couldn't do my job, I, I couldn't be a good husband. I, I, I would have days where I would simply just be in tears, and I couldn't explain why, and I also couldn't make it stop. And during that time, I guarantee you, I prayed. I would pray for God to make it go away. I would pray that the next morning I would wake up and I would just simply be healed. And that never happened. And I didn't know what to do. And then, one day, God gave me a gift that I didn't know that I needed, that I had not been praying for, that I had not been expecting. And that would be, end up being the first step toward my healing. He put me in Pastor Steve's office. And in the middle of trying to talk through preparing for a sermon, I just broke. I broke into tears and just absolutely came undone. And I promise you, I was not praying to break down in front of my mentor, spiritual leader, and employer. That was not what I had been looking for. But it's what I needed. Because what happened after that was just this opening for God to act in my life. And the church rallied around me. And the people who loved me and cared for me in my life got an opportunity to rally around me. And God got an opportunity to start working in my life in a way that I hadn't let him before while I was trying to control everything and hold on to everything. And they started coming around me and and people started helping me see how there was psychological help, medical help, spiritual intervention, therapies that I could do to move with God through this problem and start to heal and come out on the other end. And for the past five years, I have been blessed to grow and heal based on the foundation of what God did that day. I had no idea what I should be asking for, but God knew what I needed. And when I finally shared my desperation, when I finally opened up and let other people in and let God people in at, and let God in, finally things started to get better. And I don't want to paint like just a, you know, a perfect picture of everything. I'm, I'm still getting better. I still experience anxiety. Right? Things aren't 100% snap your fingers and it's all great. But I now have a foundation to work with where I know that God has blessed me and I can move into more and more healing as I live day by day. And I want you all to pray for things, for, for, for things when, when, when times are hard and you experience trouble. In the, in the midst of your desperation, I want you to earnestly and genuinely cry out to God in prayer. But I also want you to pray with the grace of knowing that you do not have to know exactly what to say to God 
in order to get God to do something. Right? You, you should pray with the grace of not, of not believing, not thinking to yourself, if I don't say this perfectly, if I don't present exactly what I need, need, if I'm not super specific, God will just skip over what I'm asking for. That's not how God works. You don't want to build up that false idea that unless I, I say just the right thing in just the right way, God's not going to help. We need to trust that God will take action on our behalf, even in unexpected ways. We can trust that God will take action on our behalf, even in unexpected ways. So maybe you've been asking God for something for some time, and perhaps you're frustrated or hurt or even scared because nothing seems to be changing and and, and you don't know what to do next. This week, I would encourage you, keep on praying, stay committed to that conversation with the Lord. But open up your heart and your mind and ask God to to help you see things and see ways he might be working that you haven't been expecting. And so you've been been missing them. You've been overlooking them. You You haven't considered that this is God acting in your life. What you've been praying for might be something that you've missed, might be standing outside the door, knocking, hoping that you will finally let it in. The last thing I want to be sure that we note in this passage is that even though we experience desperate times, God remains sovereign and his word continues to spread. It would be a mistake to read this passage and simply overlook the fact that while Peter experienced a miraculous rescue, James was not so fortunate. As Christians, we must live with this tension that that although we worship and serve a God who is mighty to save, he does not always do so in the way that we think that he should. And although we believe our God is sovereign and we believe that Jesus has been given all authority over heaven and earth, we still experience very real hardship. I will not attempt to explain away or smooth out what the Bible leaves as a hard, uncomfortable truth. We're not done living in a world that is besieged by sin and suffering and death. We're not done with with this sort of a world yet. And while I believe that our desperate prayers are indeed responded to by a God who wants to bless us in unexpected ways, that does not mean our troubles are over. At least not yet. As Christians, we long for the world we know that will be made right at the return of Christ, our King. But even as we wait in this place that is so hard to live in, we need to remember that God remains sovereign and that his word continues to spread. Our passage began with Herod in total control. He wields the power of the state to its fullest potential, even using it to arrest innocent people, to execute an innocent man for nothing more than the political advantages that he could gain for doing so. However, this passage ends with Herod's hubris being his downfall and his death being declared as a judgment from God. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. And this this is actually how Herod died. There are other historical documents that attest that this is the way that Herod's life ended. For all of his power... Despite the size of his kingdom and the influence of his earthly rule, all of his supposed piety, everything he had, he was only merely a man. And when he allowed this idea of him being a god 
to go unchallenged, the one true holy God finally said, enough. And just like that, Herod's life was over. All of his power came to mean nothing. And the final words of this passage, we are given no doubt as to where our hope truly lies and who is truly in control. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. God's work will not be stopped by something as little and as limited as a human king. No leader, no emperor, no senator, no president, no tyrant, no dictator, no supposedly supreme power that, supreme power that walks this earth can prevent the plan of God from moving forward and coming to full fruition. The word of God continues always. The gospel spreads and flourishes always. So remember this in your desperate times. Your desperation will not last. It will not have the final word. Your prayers will be answered for now, perhaps only in part, but absolutely once in blessed, one day in blessed fullness because the sovereign Lord, the God of all creation, the Lord of your salvation will make it so. In every one of your desperate moments, as you try to navigate to the best of your ability the troubles of this world, you can earnestly pray to a God who is sovereign and ready to reply to your prayers and who has a plan to move you one day into the fullness of freedom. In just a moment, we will spend some time together at the Lord's table. And when we celebrate communion, we confess our need for Christ we remember his love and his sacrifice for us, and we enjoy the blessings of his forgiveness. I'd like to offer each of you a little bit of time this morning to earnestly seek after God, to earnestly pray to God. And remember, there is no special trick or specific words you must, you must speak or say in order to be heard. God is already waiting and listening and ready, for, ready to respond. So in these next few moments, I would just love for you to make yourself available to the Lord. You can offer up praise, you can ask for a need or a blessing, or you can simply sit before him as you struggle in your desperation. You're welcome to pray on your own, or if you have somebody around you that you'd like to pray with, you're, you're welcome to pray with that person and pray out loud for a little bit. If for any reason you cannot bring yourself to pray during this time, if that's just not where you're at, not something you're comfortable with, not something you've tried before, or, or if your desperation is such that you just don't know what to do, that's okay. Don't feel like you've got to do it just because we have this moment to do so. You might simply use this time to reflect on what you've heard and, and just pause for a little bit. We don't take a lot of time to just pause anymore. But sometimes God meets us in our slowing down and in the stillness of unhurried moments. So I encourage you to take this time as you need it to reach out, to pray, to reflect, or to simply sit and be. In just a bit, I will share a few instructions on how we celebrate communion here at Faith. But for now, may the Lord bless this time and meet you as you pray. Would you please use this time to pray now?
at our church, anyone who has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to join us in the celebration of communion. In just a moment, we will all together take uh, the bread from the cup, and after some words read from Scripture, we will eat together. And then after, uh, after eating, we will take uh, the cup, and after some additional words from Scripture, we will drink together. If you've joined us in person and uh, you, we provided you with the, these individual communion cups, if you happen not to see them as you came in, you're welcome to step out and grab one now. That's no problem. Uh, the covering simply tears away and the elements are inside each, each side. If you're joining us uh, online this morning, joining us from home, uh, we'd love for you to join us simply by preparing uh, a similar bread and drink and using those to participate in communion. If there's anyone with us here this morning that does not yet believe in, in the gospel, has not yet come to, to faith in Jesus Christ, I just want to let you know that we're so glad you're here. Uh, we're so honored that you would trust us and choose this place as, as somewhere where you'd come and learn more and, and continue to get to know who God is. During this time, I'd simply ask that you use it to reflect, um, to think about what you heard, uh, and just want to let you know if you have any questions about anything from today or if you want to talk to anybody about what Christianity is and what it means to follow Jesus, I'd love to connect with you either after the service or later on in this, in this week. Would you all please pray with me as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table? Father God, you know as I prepared this message this week, the, the words from Wendell Kimbrough's eternal weight of glory were on my mind and heart. And so I offer them now as a prayer to you, capturing our desperation and yet at the same time celebrating your salvation. So Father God, let these words prepare us uh, for our moment at the Lord's table. Now the days and hours and moments of our suffering seem so long, and the toilsome weight and wandering threatened silence to our song. Now our pain is real and pressing where our faith is thin and weak, but our hope is set on Jesus and we cling to him, our strength. Every year we thought was wasted, every night we cried how long, all will be a passing moment in our Savior's victory song. May Jesus' victory song be in our hearts as we share this communion celebration together. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, gathered with his disciples, and he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. May God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit all attend to the prayers and concerns and confessions, to the celebrations and the desperation that were offered in prayer from the hearts of those gathered here today. We know, Lord, that you have heard, and we eagerly await your response, and we open ourselves to how it might come in unexpected ways. But no matter what, God, we trust in your sovereignty and know that you yourself will be enough and more than enough for our every need. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
As we bring our time of uh, service to a close, I would like to spend a moment um, just reflecting on the, the idea of giving. Um, giving is, a, is an act that we get to participate with the Lord in. And uh, if you came prepared to give this morning, you may place your offerings in the, in the boxes on the, on the side of the sound booth as you leave. If you're a guest with us this morning, as always, we want you to know there's no obligation to give. Uh, we're just so glad to, to, to have you here. We also know lots of you give during the week or on the automatic giving. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. That's awesome. Uh, but now this is just will help us go into our week thinking about not only the generosity we display here, but also how we continue God's generosity outside of these walls. So if you at all, please stand, and then we will read this prayer on the screen behind me together. Holy and generous God, we have gathered today to worship you and to be equipped for every good work that you have called us to this week. As we go, prepare us to witness to your goodness with every gift you have given us to share. All people may know your peace through Jesus Christ. 